This podcast is a part of the Carbon Almanac Network of Podcasts. Hi, I'm Christina. I'm from Prague. Hi, I'm Jen, and I'm from Canada. Hi, I'm Ola and I'm from Nigeria. Hello, I'm Liki, and I live in Paris. Hi, I'm Brian, and I'm from New York. Welcome to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. In our conversations, we share ideas, perspectives, questions, and things we can actually do to make a difference. So don't be shy and join our Carbon Sessions because it's not too late. All right. Hey, everyone. I'm Jeremy. Hi, I'm Rob. Hello, I'm Alex. And today on Carbon Sessions, we have a very special episode that's going to combine sustainability, the environment, and also art. And this is one of the big things that I love about the Carbon Almanac, is that when you open it up, it's not just a bunch of words, it's not just on and on and on pages of text, but we have data, we have illustrations, charts, and we have comics in there. And what I love about comics so much as someone that's created them myself is that you can express such like a vast array of ideas with just a few simple panels. And so that's why I love comics and I I love reading a bunch of different ones. But over the years, I've also started enjoying reading comics about the environment. And so I have uh, a few of my favorites, but luckily for us today, we have Alex on the show who will talk to us about her journey in making comics and also just uh, being an author in general. And so I've I've followed Alex's work uh, over the years. She draws this awesome comic strip called Arctic Circle, which is a daily comic about three penguins and their friends. Three immigrant penguins. Who live around the Arctic Circle and discuss <laughs> all of the uh, amazing but also concerning, yes, the amazing but concerning changes uh, in our 21st century. In addition to this awesome comic, she also writes a really great newsletter that I I love reading each time it comes into my inbox called uh, Illustrated Epistle. And uh, yeah, it gives us uh, an inside look into her life in New Zealand and her efforts for like living more sustainably and uh, with, with the environment. So thank you, Alex, for coming onto the show today. Yeah, so the first thing I really wanted to ask you, Alex, is that, as I I mentioned, I've had some experience making comics myself. I was doing them uh, about three times a week for a few years, and I thought this was quite challenging. So how are you able to sustain the daily pace? Because I get paid. (laughs) Getting paid is good. So so, um, I'm syndicated with King Features, which means that I get a regular paycheck every month. So that makes it worth me sitting down and meeting the daily deadline. So I do six dailies and a big Sunday comic every week. I'm quite organized. Um, I actually have a a background in biochemistry. I worked for seven years in the pharmaceutical industry in an office environment, which I hated. But it it did teach me to be very organized uh, and professional. But I'm amazed you did... um, did a, a comic for, for three days a week for, for a few years. I, I, can I find that? 
Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely send me some send of Send you a link for this after. It's, I have to admit, it's, it's not as great as yours. I mean, I like one of the things that really struck me about your comic, but in particular your newsletter is just this, like your artistic style. It reminds me of another cartoonist I really admire. His name's Grant Snyder. He makes this like incidental comics uh, series for. He's been doing this for years, and I just, yeah, the 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 style you have for for your drawings really speaks to me. So I'm. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always enjoying seeing a, seeing a new issue come up in the, in my inbox. It, well, your style gets better if you've if you've done it every you know on average every day um, since um, 2007 because that's when it was syndicated. So um, if you go back and look at my work uh, from then, um, oh man, I find it painful. I find it really painful. Um, there there are some some good jokes but um the drawing is terrible so <laughs> so yes you, you do get better um doing something every day i think it's hard to get worse do you do you have any um uh, i suppose routines with uh, with because it's it clearly has to be a habit doesn't it uh, if if you're doing it every day i'm just wondering what your tactics are for uh get, i suppose getting ideas is one thing um are, are, do the ideas just come naturally or are there tactics you use for that? Uh, I mean, I, I did a podcast for a long time and I, I would think of something absolutely fantastic and then because I hadn't got a notebook, it was gone the next day and I, and I, I sort of dreaded that uh, in the end. So I'm just wondering what um, what, what thoughts you have on that. Yes, um, I think uh, having having a notebook with you is helpful, but now everybody has a phone. So I have, um, I often use voice notes if I um, come up with an idea, but, but um, honestly, it's really rare for an idea just to come to me out of nowhere. Although it did happen once, it actually woke me up in the middle of the night and I, <laughs> I had to write it down and it was a good one. Um, so, but that is really, really rare. Um, for me, I think that the ideas you get uh, are dependent on the the information that that is in your head. So you've got to sort of feed your mind with with um, lots of good information. Um, I write. Uh, I should say that the Arctic Circle has an environmental theme. Um, so uh, I, I read, you know, all the usual sort of environmental blogs. I you know I obviously ingest a lot of environmental information. And then uh, um, I mull it over and go for a walk usually. I haven't been lately because I've been recovering from surgery. And so I've been having to do things like weed, <laughs> you know, like sit in the garden, weed, and just try and come up with, with ideas then. But, yeah, you, you, have to, you have to feed your mind because I, I think that uh, the subconscious does all the heavy lifting and it is amazing what it comes up with and or you just have to tap into it and quiet the the sort of the prefrontal cortex i think um and you know go out and and do something that that requires like a little bit of effort so you can calm the brain and let the subconscious tell you what it's really thinking and i think that's where all the best ideas come from is from your subconscious just you know mashes together different you know topics and comes up with something hopefully unique um, I can sit down and come up with ideas, but they don't tend to be quite as good. You know, those manufactured ones. I don't know whether that answers your question. <laughs> no, it does. It does. No, it's really good. And, and the other thing I'm interested in is, is whether the art came first 
or, or the stories came first? Because as a story, uh, story storytelling is is one sort of string of my life, and art is a, is another big string of my life, and they kind of intertwine each other a little bit and come and go, and sometimes disappeared for a while and came back. And I, I just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that. So, I have always been interested in cartooning. Well, you know, since I was six years old, and I was given a Peanuts collection, um, and it, it wasn't long after that that I became interested in or aware, I suppose, of, of environmental issues because I grew up in the 1970s and that oil shock and turning off the lights. And you know, so that kind of kick-started that. Well, I think, you know, all kids draw and I just kept on drawing. Um, but for me, <laughs> I'm a lazy artist I, I love writing, and it, and the fundamental thing for, for me is writing. Um, and I write other books as well, uh, and uh, you know other other things as well, including you know books for kids and um, travel books and you know things like that. And I love the you know the the finished um, article of a of a comic of a book, but the process of drawing I find. You know, really, really hard. You know, and actually, I confess the reason that there are penguins in the Arctic. You know, and they are immigrant penguins because if I went back in time and um, and came up with this comic again, I probably wouldn't have penguins. <laughs> you know, I, I would have like <laughs> I don't know orcs that that came back from extinction or something. Um, but uh, you know, this was back in the 1990s when I first came up with the idea. And I thought, oh, I really don't want to have to draw backgrounds. Backgrounds are tedious. So I'll base it in the Arctic. Um, and hmm, I like drawing penguins. Penguins aren't in the Arctic. I never mind, you know, we'll, we'll make immigrant penguins. Polar bear, it's black and white. Awesome. Don't have to do any shading. <laughs> you know, it's just really lazy, really lazy. I'm not quite as lazy now you'll see a few more backgrounds in my in my work um but yeah that's kind of how it started and so for me it's always the writing first and yeah um I, I actually split my work so I have a week where I'm really just writing um and I do like a batch of of um two weeks or maybe more if I can sort of squeeze a few in so, so I can have some holidays, some vacation you know, down the track. So I, I, I do a batch. I'm, I'm big into, you know, working you know, more efficiently. So um, I will write uh, for one week and then the following week I do the drawing. So um, I pencil the roughs, scan them in, and then I ink. So I used to be, <laughs> I used to draw with a, with a with a dip pen and India ink, I know, like how old school. Um, so now I've I've entered the the twentieth century, and I'm now using a fountain pen. Yeah, I've I've got a really really good fountain pen, a noodler's you know, fountain pen that can take um, uh, light fast ink. So yeah, so um, I really I actually do like the the drawing more now because I listen to podcasts. So I can listen to, to you know, things like your podcast um, and uh, that makes it a little less tedious. <laughs> but it's a terrible confession for a cartoonist <laughs> to make, but, you know, I find drawing really <laughs> tedious. <laughs> 
But your artwork is beautiful, and you say that you're, you're lazy, but there's a beautiful simplicity about. Uh, I mean, the, the the penguin on that um, that you've got on your your blog, I just admired it for quite some time. You know, how you, it, it was absolutely fantastic. Oh, that, that is. It's very, very kind of you to say that. Um, uh, but um, and and I, I, I do think you get, you de- definitely get better. I've, you know, I've drawn over six thousand strips, so you know, you do get better. I am much better. So, was your interest in environment, environment, the environment? Did that come from when you were living in the West Country? Yeah. So I grew up in the West Country, but certainly in. Britain at the time in, in the 1970s, you know, um, I remember mum and dad in a in a queue at a garage. I'm going to say all the English words here. Queue at a garage, uh, waiting for petrol, um, and uh, and you know, at school being told you know to to save energy. Um, I wasn't really aware of you know we had lots of strikes, power cuts. I do remember the power cuts. So. Yeah, and there was this idea that that um, oil was a precious, finite resource. It is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that we should conserve it. <laughs> we should, you know, and so that just stayed with me, you know. But but I became more and more aware uh, as I got older. I mean, in my twenties, I was I was a terrible sort of consumer of things. I I've never been fashionable, um, but I did like buying stuff, new stuff, you know. So. Yeah, I've got got out of that that habit, fortunately. Yeah, I was brought up in the Midlands and oh, yeah. south of south of Birmingham, and I gave a talk last weekend, and uh, I I talked about when I was seven years old, and my mother um, would send me down to the off license with the empty bottles. Yes, Corona, Corona pop bottles. Yeah, cor- <laughs> it, it was a Corona bottle, a series of the Corona bottles that I showed. And I pointed to the orange aid one and said that my mother would sometimes ask me to put sherry or ask for the off, for the um, uh, the guy in the off license to put sherry in. And uh, and he would comply uh, until, of course, the place was shut down. <laughs> Very <laughs> so good. I was just very talking good. about this sort of 50 years ago, 50 years ago, recycling was, yeah, well, uh, was very much part. Well, part it's of interesting, my life. isn't it? Because I think back to, you know, when I when I was a kid and um, we shopped quite locally. We didn't go to the supermarket very much. Um, uh, there were there were healthy markets in, in every little town in um, the UK, you know, where you can get your fruit and veg. But my mum did a lot of shopping at the local shop. We had our milk delivered in glass bottles, you know, and I think a lot of people remember this. And I think it's it's interesting now, you know, with the super the supermarkets have a lot of power, uh, and they have a lot of power to do good, you know, because if you if you think about it now, how they're going back into home deliveries, and they they recognise that there's a pushback against all this um, plastic packaging, and I'm thinking, well, why can't the supermarkets become the new milkmen? You know, why can't they? be delivering everything in reusable packages and taking it back and taking responsibility. No. So I, I think there's opportunities in this world that we've created you know, to go back to some of those, the real recycling, the real you know, circular, circular economy. Mm. So anyway, going off topic, <laughs> this is really bad. 
No, 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 but th- this is great, Alex. I, you, you mentioned yeah. that you studied biochemistry. So I was just wondering if you can take us a little bit through this journey. Like, some, okay, not to get into the stereotypes since I'm like doing a science degree myself, but like often the stereotype is like the art and the science do not mix, and or, or at least they're they're not always they're not always uh, together. And so, like, how how did you keep? Uh, how how did you like balance the two or? Did they yeah. did like art take a break on I, the side while you were doing I guess your biochemistry? I was degree? really, I'm really risk of, risk averse, and so going through school, even though I always enjoyed cartooning, you know, make, making comics, uh, make be becoming the centre of attention in the in the class because you know I'd drawn the the teacher or whatever. Um, I loved that, loved it, but I knew that to make a living doing that. I mean, it was really. You know what I'm doing now is is my childhood dream, and to become syndicated as a cartoonist, you know, to be paid to do this this job, um, it's it, it's just amazing. But it was very unlikely. You know, when I submitted, King Features were getting three thousand submissions um, a year, and they were launching three comics a year. So you know. One in a thousand, and now it's worse okay. because the newspapers are, you know, taking a tumble. So they're navigating that and, and um, becoming more digitally based. So we'll see how that goes. But you know, even as a kid, I just thought, oh well, the chance of me making a living at, at this is is very slim. Whereas I'm really good at science. I can I can definitely make a living at that, and I'll do this on the side. And honestly, that was a huge mistake. Uh, I should have you know, gone with my passion. Although I love science, I find it really interesting. And I, I still, I do a, a science comic for kids every six weeks for the Australian, for the CSIRO. Uh, so they've got a, a comic called Double Helix. So I do a full page comic for them. And I get to use my science brain, which is great. But yeah, so... I, I kept taking like the, the secure path and ended up in a job that I really hated, but I did enjoy the, the regular income and I made lots of good friends until I ended up in a job where, <laughs> where I didn't really get along great with the people and it was incredibly stressful and I was out of control. Uh, so, for example... So I was working in clinical trials, and um, these are run all over the world, often where it's really cheap. Uh, so um, the company I was working for, and I'm, I'm not going to name them, but they, they were running a clinical trial in Mexico, and I was having to navigate the difficulty of getting drugs to these patients who were in this trial who needed the drugs. Um, it would have been unethical to stop them, but the drugs were stuck at the border because we hadn't bribed the customs officials. <laughs> you know? And I'm like wait a minute, this is not in the standard operating procedure. How do I do this? You know, and it was just stuff like that. And uh, I went in, went into work one day. I was so stressed. I was not sleeping. I was just working 12 hour days, but not getting anything done. I was commuting an hour and a half each way. Uh, and, um, and I went in one day and turned on the computer and it was literally blank. i could not read it. My brain had shut down to the point it was like enough, enough, enough. And so I had, um, oh, 
I don't know what you call it these days. I'm sure there's a there's a better way to say it. But I had a, a, a breakdown, and and just for three months, it, it took me three months to sort of get back onto an even keel. And the only other thing I knew how to do was was draw cartoons. And I was lucky because my my partner at the time was moving uh, to the south coast to Eastbourne, which is near Brighton. So it's a rundown seaside town. I think it still is, although maybe not so much now. He was moving down there to become a mature student. And and so it was going to be really cheap. Uh, and yeah, I just, I managed to blag my way into um, the local newspaper as, and became their staff cartoonist for four years. Whilst I also studied what, what back then, so this was 1999, they called uh, multimedia, <laughs> so website design, all that kind of stuff, which became really useful for me you know, as a self-employed um, cartoonist. Uh, and so that's how I got started as a professional back in 1999. So it's been a while. I'm not even sure I answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, no! You did, you did. I, 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 I wanted, to, yeah, just because I wanted to understand this like link between like the biochemistry that you were doing and all of the art that happened after. So, like, did did this did this degree or just like this this sort of like sciencey side of you also inform like how later on you would choose your topics for for writings? I mean, like, okay, now your your comics are often about the environment or some more sciencey stuff. So, like, how how did this affect what you you did later? I, I think there's a couple of things uh, there. I think um, most successful cartoonists are are really good at problem solving, you know, because um, it's a puzzle to 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 get you know, very um, I don't know pedestrian information and make it entertaining in some way, you know, or make people think. Um, and that that's that's what I want to do with my comic is is to get people who I mean, you can preach to the converted, and that's great, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but if you can reach some people who might not have thought about something a certain way, um, then that's that's gold. You know, that's that's what I want to be doing is not changing people's minds, but just getting them to use their own minds to think, uh, you know, about what's what's happening environmentally and how they can make a difference in the world. They, you know, that you know, we all have a part to play. Although I think big co- corporations and, and governments have more of a part. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Let's not put it all on the individuals here. But big corporations and governments are populated by individuals and some of them read comics. So I'm talking to them, you know. And yes, I think science, I mean, I, I do think that it, it changes, you know, studying science and um, practicing science, it changes your brain. Um, you do become very critical of information uh it's my comic has evolved over the years and i think that as a scientist you have to be prepared to take new information and change your mind so there's comics that i wrote early on that i wouldn't necessarily agree with now i was listening to an interview you had with uh i forget her last name hannah hannah ritchie yeah hannah ritchie who's who's um just got yeah she's got a book out at the moment you know she really wants to give kids the information that she would have liked to have had as a kid. And I think comics can do that as well. But you know, she was talking about palm oil, which is a great you know, um, example of, of how um, something that 
yeah, 10 years ago when I was writing about palm oil, it's like palm oil is evil, you know, <laughs> like absolutely um, uncategorically, you know, let, let's switch to coconut. But yes, um, you have to, I think we have to do the best we can in the world we live in right now. I mean, I fly uh, and people would call me a hypocrite, but at the moment there is no other way for me to get from here to, you know, where my parents are in, in the UK. So, so I don't tend to fly very often, but I can't wait for the day when that trip is something I can do with like short hops with electric planes, you know, um, that I can cross the world. I'm not a very good sailor, so I'm not getting on a boat, boat for six weeks. I'm sorry. You know, but, <laughs> but yes, we have to do the best we can in the world we're in right now and then work, work to get a better world, you know. So we don't have electric planes in New Zealand. We should. It's a great country for those short hops. We have you know, 80% renewable power with um, mostly hydro. And at the moment, um, Air New Zealand's actually testing out some electric planes uh, just for the mail run, because I think that they're thinking, well, if we, use, if we lose a bit of post, everyone's used to that. Whereas if we lose some passengers, we might get in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) But I see a future in, you know, in 10 years time where there there are electric planes doing those little hops. And I'd love, because I could spend the time, I'd love to, you know, hop from country to country via electric plane to get back to the UK, you know, and do it on the way back. And we'll hopefully have more trains to do all that. No, um, yeah. So again, I think I've just rambled, gone off the point bring me back. <laughs> Science is great. <laughs> the, 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 the point you make, Alex, though, is, is fits in so well with the ethos of the Carbon Almanac and the, and the team is that, you know, we. So I think as soon as you start um, denying that you're doing anything wrong, then you, you, you become complicit in the whole problem, don't you? And uh, and to, uh, I think the first thing that, that that we all admit is that you know we're we're hypocrites. Yes, we're doing things wrong, but um, yeah, uh, it's it's that movement in the right in the right direction and taking these small steps that that we want to do. Yeah, I I, ha- I had a bit of an epiphany um, last year with my comic because for years and years and years I've been taking environmental topics and distilling them into you know these comics that I, um, I hope. You know, I I like to to make light of things, but you know, sometimes it's they are serious issues, um, uh, and and they they can be a bit heavy, right? And there's a there's a comic site called the Comics Curmudgeon, and um, and the guy who uh, I mean, he criticizes a lot of comics, so you know, no, no one is safe. But he did criticize my comic for being you know quite. Um, bleak and uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word, you know, proselytizing. And and I, th- there was something about his criticism that I, th- I thought, yeah, you know what, you might have a point. And I think I would ra- rather than reflecting the world we're in, which can be quite depressing, I'm going to start reflecting the world that I want to be in. And so there has been a shift in the comics hopefully you know since since the new year and and again i'm probably not completely consistent here because i have deadlines to meet but in general i'm trying to write about a community that is living a better life you know a more f- fulfilled life 
and more environmentally friendly life. And yes, there will be characters in it that are resisting this. But in general, they're going in the right direction. Uh, and, you know, it's something to be celebrated and it's more positive. So, you know, and, and I think that's that's what we have to do. It's like here in New Zealand, you'd be surprised considering that, you know, we, we have a lot more sunlight um, than and very intense sunlight compared to the UK. But the, the uptake of solar has been very slow. But you know, we put solar panels on our, on our roof and it has a domino effect because I make a point of every time we get an electricity bill that's in the negative of showing all my friends and, you know, showing people down at the cafe. Like, look, 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 they're going to pay us. Well, they're not paying us, but, you know, we're in credit, sticking it to the man. This is great. And then people go, really? Because Littleton is in an extinct volcanic, volcanic crater. So like 11 million years ago, this place was just erupting. It was, you know, nuts. Um, and, uh, and now it's sort of an empty, well, it's not an empty caldera um, because part of it eroded away and the sea came in. So now it's a, a, a natural harbour um, with a working port. Um, and, and Littleton is on sort of uh, the side of this this um, uh, volcano, but on the wrong side because the sun's on the other side. And so in the winter, we lose, we lose the sun at two o'clock in the afternoon, you know. So it's got a bit of a reputation as being a very dark place. And yet even here, we can generate, you know, a lot of power. My studio is off-grid, you know, and that's, I mean, it costs more money than I'll ever make back. But for me, it's a way to sort of demonstrate to people that, you know, we don't have to have this this centralised power system that relies on, like, this coal-fired power station up in the north um, when, you know, we don't have, when we don't have enough power. And now, you know, these, these friends of mine who've put solar power on their roof, uh, they've become part of a community energy group. Um, and I'm, you know, loosely involved in this as well and we're trying to move the conversation towards how can we generate power and you know, collectively as a community and share that with because not everyone can afford to put solar power panels on their roof or you know buy a, a leaf you know, um, we need to be having these conversations and um, getting away from government acting because it takes too long and you know we can act as a community and um, become you know, more self-sufficient collectively. Because I don't believe that, you know, like some kind of prepper that just going off grid by yourself and growing all your own veggies and, and all of that is the answer. Um, because, you know, what about all your neighbours? You know, you're, you're not going to make a difference. You, we have to do this as communities. And that, that, I think, is the answer. But do, you, do you feel that people <clears throat> are actually becoming more uh, receptive to, to those conversations now than uh, perhaps a few years ago? I'm, and I, I suppose that another part of this question is um, around what you were saying earlier about the kind of criticism um, of, of, uh, of your, your, your work and how, uh, I suppose, thinking about politicians and comedians in a way, you know, politicians seem to be, it's accepted if they cross the line, whereas... A comedian or somebody who's doing something that is in that realm, sometimes they're criticised almost even more for you know where's the line for you in terms of, of what you're doing, 
Um, I just wonder how much you, you're finding you have to, in what you do, are you trying to work on, on trying not to cross the line and, uh, and, uh, and how much people are listening to you more? I think, um, I mean, I do cross the line as far as environmental subjects and I try not to write, I have done in the past and I've got away from it, um, but I try not to write political strips. But unfortunately, in many parts of the world, environmental issues have become politically divided and and i think a lot of that is has come from you know lobbying groups who um you know have have a, a lot of power uh so hmm, i i mean my my syndicate looks at every single comic strip corrects all the grammar and the, and the spelling to american spelling um and but they but they also look look to see if i am you know crossing a line and being unreasonable and uh, you know um and actually, I get very few comics um, rejected, you know, uh, on that score. But yeah, I think I think you have to upset a few people, and you know, to just to keep nudging things forward. I think back to the beginning of what you were saying. Things are changing um, because people are seeing climate change, um, you know, on their local TV news. They're seeing things, you know, happening uh, in real time now, um, whereas. I remember even even uh, very left-leaning friends of mine ten years ago were um, skeptical about how much the climate was changing, and now no one is. Um, now it's more a question of what do we do about it, right? So we've gone from from denial you know, to more obfuscation, I think, you know. But part of what you were saying before, Alex, just about, you know, installing uh, installing solar panels and then showing your friends. I mean, it seems to me, it, it, and, and like you were mentioning, like thinking about a future that you want to to be in, that you want people to be in. I think I think this is super important because I mean, okay, it's, it's really good to like look at the world and like assess it in terms of the facts and say, okay, things are not looking good. That's true. But I think there's also another component, which is that if you just do that, if you just give the facts, like there is yeah. almost no motivation to do anything yeah. about it after because it's way too depressing at times. And so having like this posture of, you know, possibility of saying, okay, we're here, but we can get somewhere else and it is possible to get there. I think this is really, really a key point. My partner, Duncan, um, he set up the Littleton Farmers Market back in 2005, and and I helped him with that, with you know, designing like the the logo and things, and you know helping out at the first few markets, and uh, and that market has continued um, pretty much every every week since there was a little break in COVID, during COVID when the government decided that supermarkets were you know safer than farmers markets. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, that kind of thing, you know, local seasonal food is you know, massive. I mean, there's very little packaging. It's more nutritionally dense. Um, you are building community massively because you go go into a supermarket. How many serious conversations do you have um, with the providers of that food? Uh, none, because they're not there, you know. <laughs> Um, and uh, and so you go to a farmer's market and the people who are growing that food become part of the community. You know, there there are, are people at the, the farmer's market who 
would have retired a long time ago, but they miss that interaction with the people who buy their produce. And it has been fantastic bringing the community together, you know, once a week, the way that church used to, I suppose, you know, and, you know, church still does do that, but it's very, very um, siloed. And I, I think that um, there are things that you can do that are not biased towards, you know, people who are environmentally friendly. So we should be thinking of, of doing those things in our community and showing people across the aisle, so to speak, um, how a lot of these things that we can do that um, will uh, reduce carbon emissions are actually fun. They bring other benefits. Okay, so it's not that, you know, if you, yes, if you want to buy an electric car, and I don't, even though I have an electric car at the moment, because I've got reduced mobility, I'm planning on selling it <laughs> very soon and going back to my bicycles. They're not the answer. No, active transport is the answer. And I think if you can, I've talked about like our, our local bus here a lot and how how there are advantages to it. It's not just a cost. It's not just, oh, uh, yeah, it's not going to get me to, to the centre of town as fast. No, it won't. But you're, you're only looking at one side of it. It's not going to cost you as much money. You don't have to park. Uh, you don't have to get into road rage um, with uh, other drivers. You're going to arrive less stressed. Um, I've made friends on the bus, you know. Uh, it gives me time to just sit there and read, which ideally you shouldn't be doing whilst you're driving. You have to look at a bus journey as being a different type of journey and that there are benefits to it. Uh, so... I, I think getting away from the idea of everything being a penalty that we're having to pay for, for being you know, so reliant on fossil fuel for so long, we should be thinking about changing our communities to bring everybody back together and bring those benefits. Because I do passionately feel that cars kill community because it isolates people in like a metal box and it becomes very combative because you're, you know, you're going for very limited space, which is becoming more limited. Uh, whereas if you're on a bicycle, you stop at the lights with other cyclists, you get talking to them, unless they're in, in Lycra, in which case they don't talk. Um, but you get, you, you get talking to them, you see things at a different pace and you go, oh, that's a new shop. And you stop and you, you know, go in, uh, which you can't do in a car. You probably won't even see it, you know. It's... Um, yeah, I just think we need this mindset shift. Uh, I think everyone who takes the bus, and then uh, this is not a lot of people in the US, but everyone who takes the bus should arrange a bus date with someone who does not take the bus and, and just show them the delights of being on the bus, you know. So, um, yeah, there we go. <laughs> change, change the world. One, one, one bus date at a time. <laughs> I think we need... Also, uh, just like the availability of this sort of public transport. Like I, I live in a very small, uh, very small town here in uh, Canada and everyone has cars. And the reason everyone has cars is because there's no public transport and yeah. things in Canada are not close to yeah. each other. So it's like very not like you can't, you can't go to say the, the supermarket and get stuff. It's just not possible for a lot of people. Do you have the ability to, to, to cycle? Because I think electric bikes are game changers. When you get people back onto an electric bike rather than a push bike, it's thrilling for them, you know? So yeah, I would hope so. The, the main issue for us is that we have very, very cold winters with lots of snow 
We'll just do it in the summer, mate. Start with the summer. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's a point I have to make here. There's um, uh, there's this if you, if you build it, they will come kind of approach that I'm trying to take with my business. And so we put cycle racks in and on our website, it says um, cycle planner. So if people want to come to our practice, then they can click on cycle planner and they can find a safe That's route to, to get to us. But there are always going to be speed bumps with this. And of course, we've. Uh, it'd be interesting to know how many people have clicked on that and actually planned their route because our cycle racks remain resolutely empty. But I, I think if, if you kind of build it, then hopefully things will change. And one of the th- other things I did in my talk last weekend was um, I showed these empty bike racks in um, my place in Birmingham and this other business, which is a, a cycle coffee cafe. And then I showed this picture of one of the most northernmost schools in Finland. And it's this, and you see the car parking area, and it is absolutely filled with bikes. The, the racks are there. It's covered in snow. It's minus 20, minus 30. Oh, wow. And everybody is cycling in and out of school. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not accepting that excuse, no. um, Jeremy, <laughs> uh, for cycling, uh, for people cycling. Yeah. And, and I think, that, no, I'm, 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 I'm joking, but it, it's, um, the, the point is that uh, if, if you do think about these things in advance, uh, for me in Birmingham, it's about trying, trying to change people's mindset in a gentle and kind way, really. Uh, and I think that it's harder to do in, in a snowy area. You need to uh, approach um, the council about that, because I think what you're, you're doing is fantastic. Um, but um, uh, here, here at Christchurch, since the earthquake, has put in so many um, cycle lanes and it, it actually has a whole month October, which is a cycling month, and there are incentives for people to cycle to work. So there's, you know, free coffee and and you know, muffins or, or whatever. And I, I think, uh, you know, for your business, you know, you could do something like, you know, for a particular month to promote it, because you only need to get someone to cycle once for them to realise the the benefits. But it's that first time. So, so you could pick one month where you say, right, for that month, if you bike in, I will give you a 10% discount or whatever. And maybe work with, ask whether the, the council has a month where they promote cycling, where you you could also get promotion for your business with the council. And they, they could say, you know, if you, if you, you know, go, and, and I think this is not just your businesses, but it's all businesses, um, uh, can benefit from cyclists. So, you know, because cyclists can access things, you know, far more easily than cars when, you know, when it comes to parking and so on. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know that this is something that changes overnight. I mean, coming back to what you said, Jeremy, I mean, when you don't have um, the infrastructure, when you don't have actual buses to get on, it is hard. But, um, and here in Christchurch, they have increased the frequency of the buses so that they used to be every half hour and if you missed one, you know, it's just so uh, awful having to wait half an hour, but now they're every 15 minutes. So now you don't even think about when the bus comes, but a lot of those buses are going quite empty and they're, they're having to swallow that cost in the hope that people will use them more. So, you know, it is hard. It's, it's chicken and egg, isn't it? So, yeah, I think the mindset change is harder than, uh, than the actual cycling yeah. bit, really. If I'm late now, I actually think I need to get my bike. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back to uh, just biking, I th- which I think I think in the next sort of month I should, my 
because I had an operation on my feet. And I think in in the, the next month, I'll be good enough to be able to you know put my car back on the market. So yeah, I bought a, a Leaf and everyone's like, oh yeah, you won't sell it, you won't sell it. And I said, no, it's great fun, but oh no, I've, I've, I've got three bikes. So I've got my folding bike that, that it's easy to take on the bus. I've got my 20-year-old push bike that I use for just getting around town and for when I do sort of cycle trails and things. And then I've got the electric bike, which I say is my car, which is for going over the hill. Because when you want to leave Littleton, you always have to go over a hill. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, you'd have you'd have probably need one of those in Brighton because um, I lived in Brighton for a few years and uh, very, very hilly unless you're on the seafront. But um, yeah, an electric bike would be perfect around there now. I, th I think electric bikes are, are more of a solution than electric cars. Although I do see that electric cars will, will have their place, obviously for longer journeys, but they will have their place for decentralization of power. Uh, once they can be used as stores of electricity, then we can even out the power supply you know, from renewables by just storing it in everybody's uh, vehicle batteries. You know, and then you can just sort of sip on those batteries when you need power for the grid. You know, so so yeah, they have their place, but it, it's not with me. <laughs> not, <laughs> comics. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well. Alex, we're we're coming we're coming up to the end of uh, the end of uh, our time, but I wanted to ask you something just to like help help us wrap up, um, which is like what's keeping you excited about making your comics in the new year? Like what what uh, what's the 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 new I don't know like the new topic or the new kind of perspective you have on your comics coming into um, the twenty twenty four? well, I th I think we are living in interesting times. Um, uh, so, you know, as well as, um, environmental issues, I, I, I write, so my, my, the tagline for Arctic Circle is having fun in a changing world. And, um, the, the massive change that we're seeing right now, you know, we're just at the beginning of is, um, AI and just like the internet that, that is going to be revolutionary for good and for bad. But I think that it will do a lot of great things, uh, uh for the environment, I think. It will be used you know, to solve a lot of problems. Um, we'll be using it to predict the weather, you know, far better. So, you know, I'll, I'll be focusing on that in terms of topics. But, um, no, I think the, the thing that I, I see now is that there is more of an appetite for this kind of uh, content uh, that, you know, when, when I began syndication in, uh, in 2007, it was a really hard sell getting it into newspapers, you know. So um, back then, uh, I launched in seven newspapers, which actually is what Peanuts launched in. So I, I didn't feel so bad. But but now I'm in over seventy, and and I I see the potential online as well, a bigger audience. Um, that there is an audience now that is is hungry for this information and, and what they can do, and for positive change. I see this locally, and um, and I'm I'm seeing this online. And I know it seems like you know we've become you know divided, but actually I think you know most people want a better world for their children. And um, I think the comics is a is a great way to to show them that world. 
Yeah, well, that's that's beautiful, Alex. So yeah, thanks thanks again for being on the show with us today. I really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, keep uh, keep keep drawing because the the work you're doing is both important and it's uh, it's really great. It's been great. I, I wish I wish you could just sort of transport yourself via via this video link um, to New Zealand because my next thing, because it's it's morning for me, is uh, to go and have a coffee at Spooky Boogie, my my local cafe. So. Um, <laughs> I wish you could join me and we could continue this conversation (laughs) and go really off topic. (laughs) You've been listening to Carbon Sessions, a podcast with carbon conversations for every day with everyone from everywhere in the world. We'd love you to join the Carbon Sessions so you too can share your perspectives from wherever you are. This is a great way for our community to learn from your ideas and experiences, connect and take action. If you want to add your voice to the conversation, go to thecarbonalmanac.org slash podcasts and sign up to be part of a future episode. This podcast is also part of the Carbon Almanac Network. For more information, to sign up for the emails, to join the movement, and to order your copy of the Carbon Almanac, go to thecarbonalmanac.org. Be sure to subscribe and join us here again as together we can change the world.